This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is bonus episode 338. I'm your host Duncan McLeish. Welcome to the show. Up on this episode we have a very special one planned for you. We're doing one of those interview review releases that we do every now and again. This one I'm very excited about because I got a chance to sit down and chat to Justin McConnell who has just released via Arrow Video his brand new documentary. It's called Clapboard Jungle. It became available on Blu-ray at the start of the week, April 12th, and will appear on the Arrow channel this coming Monday the 19th of April. Myself and Justin get a chance to sit down and chat about the film industry in general because that's what his documentary is about. He is a kind of struggling indie filmmaker trying to make his way in an industry which appears to be hell-bent on making sure that indie filmmakers don't get to make movies. Um, Fascinating documentary, fascinating interview. It's coming up after the first break. Before we get to that, as always, let's catch up to where we are right now. We are at the midway point of the week. You've already had some content dropping your way when myself and Derek sat down to look at another one of those William Castle at Columbia movies. The remainder of the week looks kind of packed. Saturday, we're going to be sitting down and doing um, some screener content. Um, So I'm going to be reviewing one of the movies I should have put out last Saturday. So yeah, that's coming up. The Black Test Car will be coming its way this Saturday for you. And then on Sunday, 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 we return to the 80 Bombs Slasher Classic series of reviews. Continuing our jaunt, our jolly through that back catalogue. On the Teapots Collective, this coming Sunday, probably more likely Monday, you'll get the next instalment of Opera Omnia, myself and Bo Ransdell sitting down, continuing a look at the movies from David Fincher, this time making a stop by Fight Club. It's a whole lot of rules, but most of those rules mean I can't discuss the movie right now. I can only discuss it on a podcast with Bo coming up this weekend. Nothing else on the Teapots Collective. However, this Friday, tomorrow, the next instalment of Jaws is Shite and Other Regrettable Outbursts is coming its way to you. So get yourself ready for that. If you're not subscribed to that feed, go across the Teapots website. It's teapotscast.com and you can click the link for Jaws is Shite and Other Regrettable Outbursts and join us on the myriad of different platforms that that show is available on. Um, or join our Facebook group page, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash regrettable pod. Okay, I'm going to take a short break just now. You're going to hear promos for shows that I love. When I return, I'm joined with Justin McConnell and we're chatting about his brand new documentary, Clapboard Jungle, available on Blu-ray this week, April 12th, and on the Arrow channel for streaming April 19th, this coming Monday. 
I'll be right back to discuss his movie and a little bit about him right after this. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try... They must be destroyed on sight! The new podcast cure-all, sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, Cure What Ails Ya. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. And welcome back, ladies and gents. It is my privilege and pleasure at this time to welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs, um, a guy who has been very, very busy. And trust me, if you check out the documentary we're going to discuss on this episode, you will realise how exhausting it is um, to see the creative process in a kind of laid bare and full effect. Joining us on the show is Justin McConnell. Welcome to the show. Hey, nice to be here, Duncan. Um, so you have Clapboard Jungle coming out. Um, this is, to say it's a labour of love feels like a kind of understatement. It almost feels like I'm selling it short. But it's essentially a, a documentary which kind of serves two purposes. It's almost like a, a film journal of you trying to essentially get a movie greenlit off the back of working in the industry for quite some time. But also kind of set against the back of that, you have these kind of talking heads of some of the most prolific people in the horror industry essentially kind of validating your journey regardless how how well, you've got Guillermo del Toro on there basically mm-hmm. you know that guy's won an Oscar now for best picture and he is a has the same experience essentially is coming from the same place and even at his level he's still experiencing the same sort of hurdles that you are how did this how did the project kind of come together and I know you're obviously trying to make a movie and get those things or projects off the ground at what point do you decide you know I'm just going to film this experience and see if there's footage that can be used at the end of it well it was out of almost necessity uh I had just finished my previous documentary of Skull World at the end of 2013 and it was it was released and I was trying to figure out what kind of a project I can do with no money out of my own pocket while I was waiting for my actual narrative projects to come together because I knew it would be a while before I could put together like really significant budget. And the two of those things kind of clicked together. It was like, well, I mean, if I'm going to be on this path anyway, I, I haven't really seen any documentary examining the path of getting uh, a film developed off the ground from an indie level. Um, and since I'm going to be doing it all anyway, I might as well just, you know, put my own pocket change into it essentially and just start making this documentary uh, by turning the camera on myself, which was also out of necessity. I could mm-hmm. not afford to follow anybody else because i'd be living their life yeah, yeah. as a their shadow and that's you need to financially support yourself while doing that so i figured i'm already going to be going to markets and festivals to try and like make these films and take meetings i might as well try and put as much of that as i can on camera um but then also realizing well nobody wants to just listen to me talk for 90 minutes that would be like you know a bad vanity project mm-hmm. so I, I went out and collected over five years i collected about 120 interviews um so many that about 25 of them aren't even in the film yeah. they're in the series that we're we're in post-production on right now and uh but the point is is that uh 
it, it was just this sort of organic process of going, okay, well, what can I make for nothing? Oh, I think I can do this. And then starting that process and just not giving up on it over five years. And because I could easily just be like, uh, okay, well, this is a lot of work. I'm just going to stop. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I kept pushing through. There, there's a point as well where they, they always say that like the artistic endeavors are, are almost like a, uh, a pursuit that knows no language. It's like, like regardless where you are in the world, generally the experience is to create something artistic is the same. Mm -hmm. It's the same struggle and the, the hustle. And there's now this new added dimension, which I think a lot of people don't understand which is the whole kind of social media internet side of things so whereas if you were a filmmaker in the 70s or 80s you know there, there was a lot of hustle that needed to be done but you didn't have to constantly be making sure that people were aware of your presence every single day and constant updates and, and so there's a part of that which the director has essentially now become like omnipresent across the entire project where in the past you could have had those buffers in place to maybe shoulder some of that what I found really fascinating in the documentary was at least once or twice um, people that were involved with the business from an older generation had basically said you know if I had to start doing it now you know I don't even know how you I don't I don't know how I would do it at all the thing about it as well on top of that is that what I found really interesting was that at every step of the process you went through, you just didn't take it from the director's point of view, which would have been a really easy thing to do. Well, I'm just going to speak to directors, but whenever there's a point mentioned about, well, you, I need to get the casting agent, at that point, the talking heads are all based around actors and they all have different opinions on things. Um, how difficult is it to try and corral a lot of different people from a lot of different parts of the industry together to give you their... Because there must be a part of that where I would imagine if they're involved they might be trying to shield some of what they say just in case that's perceived as a negative on the industry. How difficult is yeah. it to tease the truth out of someone? Well, I mean, I, I, part of that was experience. My first documentary was this thing called Working Class Rockstar. It was about tour, touring bands and, and the reality of them. You know, you go, you pay to see them on a show, but, you know, between tours, they're working Wendy's and yeah. there's no, you know, there's, they have just barely enough money, money to survive in a lot of cases. So when I was making that documentary, I reached out to tons of record labels and A&R people and stuff to try and get their side of the story too. And every single one of them said no. And the only interview I actually got was was somebody who emailed me later and was like, yeah, BMG doesn't want me to be in this movie. Yeah. So you got to <laughs> pull me out of it. So uh, going into Cloudboard Jungle, I, I was looking at sort of the entire scope of the industry. And I realized that I needed to have representation uh, from as many different walks of life and as many different uh, sides of the industry as I could. And I'm also like, I work in the distribution side. I'm mm -hmm. a distribution consultant for IndyCan Entertainment and I scout for Raven Banner and a few other places. And I'm a festival programmer. So uh, I, I already work on that other side yeah. too. So it, it, to me, it just seemed, it made a lot of sense to have a, a, a very um, rounded view of sort of how things are. But again, I got a lot of no's. You know, I, I have one manager in the movie. I wasn't able to get any major agents at any major agencies. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a number of filmmakers say no, but part of that was just because of scheduling. Uh, you yeah. know, I'd be in LA, I'd reach out to Gail Ann Hurd. She's in, you know, somewhere else working on The Walking Dead. It's, it, the schedule wouldn't line up necessarily. But, um, but I, I still feel like I, it just took a lot of time to kind of just get enough people to, to feel like, okay, I've got this aspect somewhat covered. Mm -hmm. um, there are people that, like I interviewed entertainment lawyers, I interviewed uh, people that are going to be in the series but didn't make the main feature film. Uh, so I tried to get as much as I possibly could. 
um, just because I knew that I, I wanted to have conflicting perspectives mm-hmm. to give uh, to give a proper sort of overview of how things actually are. There's a great bit in it where you um, you go from speaking to a director who's talking specifically about getting the right sort of casting for actors and then you cut straight to Barbara Crampton who's like every director should go to at least one acting class to understand what it's like to be an actor I mean that must be valuable insight from your position as a director because you're getting to I I get the feeling that you assemble a team and you work on a project and you're so focused on trying to get that project out and your vision on screen that you might not not always get the opportunity to perceive everything from all those different levels but having the chance to sit down with like I say some of them the veteran names of the industry and go through their experiences of that how much of that insight do you think is going to tailor the way you go to make movies moving forward Oh, tons. I mean, the reality of it is, is that the making of this film was like the best film school I could have possibly yeah. had in a lot of ways. You know, I got to sit behind a camera and talk with people I grew up idolizing and people that I may not necessarily have the knowledge they do over, mm. you know, every interview I got of the 120 or so interviews was between 20 minutes and 90 minutes. So there, there's so much stuff that's not in the film uh, that some of it will be in the series, but that only I'm ever really going to hear because it's, you know, it's raw footage. Yeah. Um, those, and they were very conversational interviews. So I was just uh, following threads as we go sort of thing. Uh, so if uh, I wanted to know something, I could just ask. Them. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, uh, I do feel like over the last, you know, five years or so making this feature film, making this documentary, I've learned way more than I possibly could have. Mm. Um, about many aspects of the business had I not gone out to make this film, had I not put in that sort of effort. Um, you can only learn so much from film school and behind-the-scenes documentaries. Uh, you can learn a ton by actually making films, but that's still, depending on what you're doing on those sets and what you're doing as part of that film, that's still one specific angle of a skill set. Um, and like the fact that I started out early on and I made my career post-production gives me a very specific uh, like that's how I how I make my money and stay mm-hmm. afloat most of the time. That gives me a very specific, different uh, perspective on how things are done, which actually helped me as a director too, because I'm able to plan that sort of aspect of the production a lot clearer than somebody who may not have that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, but yes, overall, um, overall, it absolutely will influence my choices and what I do going forward. I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better film school than that. Yeah, there's there's a part as well where. It feels like, in certain industries, I always equate to, and it's because I have a lot of tattoos, when you speak to tattoo apprentices, they, they always start with the worst jobs. And, and you know, they're sweeping floors, or getting coffees and whatnot, and it's that it's the same in a lot of industries, that kind of working up, that the film industry feels a lot, a lot like that. There's a point where you're talking to, I, I want to see it's the producer on... Maybe in starry eyes, I might have got that wrong. And he basically, yeah, he basically says, yeah, I have spent, I spent ten years trying to learn what ultimately, when it was explained in one way, it just clicked straight away. And I felt had someone just sat down and said, no, the industry works. You speak here, you go to this guy, this happens here, and that's the end. And the fact that no one could give him a straight answer on that journey, he almost had to kind of stumble through it to get there. How much of that do you think is is necessary? Because you obviously you went through the full. I mean, there's a there's a great scene where you're like that. 
right, we've got distribution for this film, well, we've got we've got the money for this film, it's going to happen, and then you cut to the next scene, it's a month later, and you're like, the investors pulled out, it's not happening, and it's like this kind of rollercoaster. How important is that, do you feel, to being in the industry of going through those highs and lows? Well, I think there's certain things you can't learn until you experience them yeah. for part of it. Uh, the point Travis was making is a great one because, um, yeah, there is... There is almost a formula to putting together finance, but it's still different for pretty much everybody because, you know, there's so many angles on where you can get your first money. Mm -hmm. And the first money is usually what triggers the rest of the money, uh, usually. And But the first money is the hardest little bit to get. And, and then somebody else might come in and go, okay, well, great, but we'll give you this money in last position, but we want our money back first and then you got to convince the first money of that and, and you might yeah. lose all your money yeah, yeah and and like there there's just so many different sort of angles and i, I hate the expression ways to skin a cat because yeah. uh, you know, i like cats but uh but you know there's so many different angles you can you can play to get a movie made but there is at least you know which angles you can take which way, ways you can try if you learn that sort of process and you learn how money gets pieced together depending on the country you're in depending on where you're shooting the treaties countries have between each other, mm -hmm. the tax rebates they have. Like there's so many different things you just like it. I think, again, this is Travis's quote too. Uh, the, the Willy Wonka golden ticket thing. I think a yeah. lot of young filmmakers literally just think, oh, okay, I've got a great script. Someone's going to say, I like that. It's greenlit. And in the indie film business, it's not necessarily like that at all. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you get your script gets optioned. Maybe that option get, moves forward into development. Maybe during that development process, people start piecing together money. Maybe you actually end up going like a month away from camera and then one piece of money falls out and they all just fall like dominoes. Like you don't, you don't necessarily, it's not, it's rarely as easy as your greenlit. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes like for bigger studio type stuff, sure. But it, it's exceedingly rare for um, something that isn't like, you know, for an original IP, an original project, you yes. get greenlit at the studio level really easily. It's really rare. Uh, something like The Empty Man, for example, is an exception. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, did I lose the thread of the question? No, no, no. You're, you're, you're right. You're 100% on point because I think that's the... I think ultimately what you've put together is... I, I almost feel like it's mandatory viewing for anyone that's... Because so, we, we say, and I think rightly, if you have a story to tell, once again, this is a quote directly from your dog, if you have a story to tell and you have, you know, the facilities to do it, a camera or whatever, look out, look outside your window, see what there is, go make a movie, make a story, film mm. something. But there is that side of it as well where I think there's an expectation. I mean, you mentioned the band thing earlier on. I played in bands when I was younger and there was a point where I was like that, touring the world next week, going to be the guy, record contracts lining up. And that never happened uh, because, you know, you, you are you're one voice amongst the sea of many. And because the industry is so huge just now, which is going to lead mm. me on to my next question, um, because the industry is so huge just now and that indie content is just everywhere and accessible so quickly and the, the mechanisms for that delivery of or the ability to view movies is just so vast. So many options, so many, like I can switch on a Netflix and spend like an hour and a half just staring at poster artwork before I hit play Browse on something. anywhere uh, joke that The Onion made years ago. Yeah, you, 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 end up, you end up selecting a movie you've seen before and hate yourself because you've done it. Um, mm -hmm. But there's there's that whole aspect. You are kind of, so you're capturing just a really interesting time period in being mm -hmm. a filmmaker at then, but then this comes out essentially right when COVID strikes and the industry goes through another massive 
change. So I mean, <laughs> say the least. I, so you you do see at the end of your documentary, there's a great quote. It's very prescient as well. We're like that. You know, I I think we're we're you know on the precipice of another massive change in cinema, and then. Like I say, COVID hits. You've obviously now navigating a documentary, which is getting a, a release through Arrow um, physically on the nineteenth. Uh, so physically on the twelfth of April, uh, digitally on their channel on the nineteenth, which is a great achievement because Arrow's a it's a great name to 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 get behind. But yeah, they're a great company. You're right. You, you I mean, your movie must have come out right. Well, this documentary must have come out right when right right before when all the bad stuff happened. So how much of an impact does that add? Because you were twenty nineteen, twenty twenty, yeah. Yeah, well, we finished the edit at the beginning of 2020, and the first yeah. festival we played was Fantasia in August. No, sorry, we played Canadian Film Fest. We, our premiere was supposed to be in March 2020. Yep. That all got shut down uh, because it was a live thing. Then they transitioned to a national broadcast on Super Channel, which is a broadcaster here in oh, Canada. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. So I got really lucky, actually, with this documentary anyway, because, well, I got unlucky and I got lucky. I got unlucky because we were supposed to go to camera on Mark of Cain last May in Australia for a significant budget. Mm -hmm. And COVID put like a complete pause on all of that. And we're just now trying to get that going again. Yeah. And luckily all of our partners are at the table, but like we were in the middle of casting, all the money was together. And then it was like, oh, for, are you uh, yeah. fucking kidding me? Uh, but then on the documentary side of things, that festival that we were world premiering with set up this deal with Super Channel. And with the Super Channel deal, came a really healthy license fee broadcast, nice, nice. which pretty much covered almost the entire budget of Flatboard Jungle that I put in over the years. Mm -hmm. So it, 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 that never would have happened without COVID. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. It's <laughs> a double-edged sword. But that shift okay. and that ability to adapt to that shift yeah. kind of helped the film financially and helped the film start its role out to the rest of the world. And then I we did virtual festivals for months and months and months after that through Fantasia and Fright Fest. Mm -hmm. And at Fright Fest we won the Total Film Award for Best Documentary, and I and that helped Arrow notice, and then that led to Arrow. Um, and we you know we had did a great deal with Gravitas and Kamikaze Dogfight, and that all kind of came together because people still need to watch stuff, they still need content still that's need, that, yeah. during this period of time, and stuff that's good for streaming and home use, you know, is worth its weight in gold right now. Mm -hmm. um, that's not going to be the same forever, but like if you've got a finished project, a project of any kind of value right now, you know there is there is opportunity because of COVID. Yeah. And so it yeah that changed, um, but in in a lot of other ways, like if you're trying to get something new going right now, uh, most of the major funders are backed up, backlog like crazy with projects that they weren't able to shoot, but yeah. they still want to shoot. So like pitching new stuff to people right now is like, well, we we've got to you know we're full. A lot of people are just sort of full, so uh, it, it can be very challenging because COVID is going to create this massive backlog of content. Uh, so the the wheels of the system are, were put on break for a while. Yeah, and I'm and you know obviously exhibition is a whole other conversation. Cinemas closing and mm -hmm. um, you know trying to stay afloat through all this uh, and financially being just like crushed. But with with those wheels stopping, uh, you know some stuff still got made, obviously, but like I'd say it's only a small percentage of the actual production yeah. that could have been over that period of time. You're, I think there's going to be a flood of new content coming out once the restrictions start with like people who sat on things. Cause a lot of people did sit on things. Yeah. Um, and then, but then after that, it's going to take a while before, you know, new stuff that wasn't already in the pipeline makes it through the pipeline. Yeah. So it becomes, it's, it's definitely going to be different. It's a bandwidth thing, isn't it? Really? It's a case of like the, until people have the bandwidth to be able to financially commit yeah. to, or yeah. Cause I think that's the, once again, linking back to your, cause like I say, there were so many talking points in it that 
I felt were just so on the money just now and uh, Guillermo del Toro talks about that pipeline and he's like mm. you have to feed the pipeline feed the pipeline because the pipeline and, and I was thinking yeah but what happens when the you pipeline yeah, well, yeah <laughs> what, what happens at that moment there and that's essentially what we've went through um, yep. like in the last year where like everything like you say like all these sure things right Bond's going to be released on this date well no it's going to be released on this date and it's changing again and it's going to change mm-hmm. again and like all these things and it's who takes the gamble of putting that first movie out and Christopher Nolan tried it with the tenant it obviously didn't yeah. go all that well and the deals that have been made with uh, you know like Warner Brothers and HBO Max and all this stuff that's happening in the background is they try and find ways to facilitate content that they have to get out in order to bring in new content. It's a fascinating thing. I do not envy for one second your your life um, at all because it's it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's one of those things where like I I felt your actually there was a part of me and I'd never do this but there was a part of me halfway through the documentary. Where I was like, that, please tell me he got his movie made, because there was I was like, if this ends with you going like that, you know, I didn't like at the end of this story, I didn't get my movie made. This is the most depressing thing that's ever happened. You like, I was just, I frantically, it's on Amazon Prime in the UK for the listeners that are listening. It's on Prime, so check it out. Uh, life, life yeah, life changer, um, and that's that's on the agenda for for me this week because I love the premise. The premise sounds brilliant. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's this part of me where you do, you feel every minute of the journey through it. And I think that's important because if it was this, well, you know, I've really struggled to make a movie. Hey, here's my movie. It's, you yeah. know, you don't get that, that, that journey, the trials that you go through. It's an immensely fascinating documentary uh, as someone who geeks out in movies, uh, you know, as it is, you know, to, to, to see that experience that you never really get behind the behind the scenes featurette is usually the tailored bits of what a filmmaker wants to yeah, show about the it's experience very like approved talking points and stuff yeah like that. You, you give you give the the it's like this right from the teeth so to speak it's, it's the, yeah. the you know it's, it's the most natural and honest that that you, you get in i think it, i think it's absolutely brilliant the last thing i want to kind of ask you is so obviously this is out in arrow yeah and like i say you're getting that physical release which as a physical media collector i'm over the moon about it will be in my collection very much looking forward to it. it should be here this week um, and it's on the Arrow channel they've obviously set up their brand new channel uh, tons of great content on there and um, I think they really are needing some of that good documentary content so I think it's it's going to do really well over there as well but in terms of you moving forward now now that you've got these names in different parts of the industry people that you've spoken to obviously producer a wealth of producers the assumption would be now your movie's out, the next project's going to be easy. Um, I just want you to dispel that myth before we before we can. No, this. it's not. It's not. Gonna <laughs> I mean, like the technically, we've been signed on with partners to get our duty. See what I see feature done for three years now, and it's yeah. still not to camera. Mark of Cain, right now, we technically have the entire budget, and the goal is to start shooting by the end of June mm-hmm. uh, in Australia, which is two and a half months away. I still don't know 100% if it's going to happen yet. Yeah. Uh, like we we have the paperwork, we were out, you know, but it, one domino falls and then they all fall. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I've got another like we've got the series, the Clapboard Jungle series that I, we have to finish the post production on, uh, which is an eight episode thing. That's probably in the in the bank at this point. Like yeah. that's definitely happening. Uh, and I got another documentary after that, but again, it's one of those things we've announced the project, but you know, uh, and we have a chunk of the finance, mm-hmm. but it's still one of those things where I, I don't want to make this next documentary by paying entirely out of my pocket. I'd like to actually pay for my work this time. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's, it's, a uh, 
yeah, it's it's not just like a flip a switch flips and then the next one goes and the next one goes yeah. and um, uh, you you you're constantly have to be hustling basically and uh, and I hate the word hustle too but it's yeah true. <laughs> just kind of, kind of constantly have to be uh, you know knocking your head against the wall until someone opens the door mm-hmm. and and then you know five other people associated with them open the similar doors so that all those pieces come together yeah you know it's 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 hardly ever one person that's like yep you're in. So uh, uh, all I would, I guess, would say to close this off is just, um, you know, there's a bit of a fallacy to the advice just work hard and you'll get you'll get what you want in, mm-hmm. in life. But if you don't put in the work and you don't put in the effort, you know, the, the no that you're getting all the time is from yourself. So Dude, it's been an absolute pleasure. Do you have a social media, Twitter or something that you can? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, uh, at Unstable Ground. I'm on Instagram. You can just search my name and Facebook. Um, I think those are the main three I'm on the most. Yep. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. Thank you very much for jumping on and doing this. Thank you for giving me the time as well. I wish you all the success and uh, I look forward to seeing what comes out next. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You have take care, Justin. Right, bye. Film and telling a story reminds us who we are. Making movies is beautiful. Raising the money, selling them is horrible. I've wanted to make films since I was very young. So I grew up dreaming of when I might get the big break. I'm not really anybody yet. What chance do I really have? If you are entering this business in order to be a rich and famous, you're in the wrong place. To be successful as a filmmaker, you have to be a little bit insane. The fact that any movie ever gets made is a miracle. It's all about money. You can make a wonderful film and never it never gets seen. I think there's a lot of stories out there that haven't had the voice in the past. I have to prove myself a lot harder. I think a lot of filmmakers think it's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory where you just get the golden ticket and then you're making movies and that's not what it is. It's an organic film thing filmmaking and you you can't hold on to your original plan too tightly constant roller coaster just ups and downs and ups and downs i've been making films for almost 30 years and i still don't know how they get made by fate you're pushing this project and pushing it and pushing it and you'd give your life for your soul for the thing to happen you'd sacrifice your firstborn you cannot ever stop the doors to getting your work seen are wide open now the ability to make money off your work is what's much more difficult. We have much more product than it is possible to watch. Sales World is AFM, Berlinale, and Canon. Like Canon is 50% of their global businesses made there. And you make the movie, you take it to the market, you have a little stand. There's just more stuff at these markets now than there's room for. It's like looking for a needle in a haystack. A lost cause is the only one worth finding. If you're a shoemaker, you make the frickin' shoes. If you're a filmmaker, you dream about the shoes. It's, it's a sad state of affairs, really. The film business is a hell of a mountain to climb, but I have just as much chance as anybody else. I think. And welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for Clapboard Jungle. This is a brand new documentary which made its way to Blu-ray via Arrow Video on the 12th of April. So that's Monday just past. Uh, However, this coming Monday, the 19th of April, it makes its way to the Arrow channel. That is their brand new streaming site, which is a curated list of tons of different movies, some exclusive content that Trust me, you need to check out this year. And if all that wasn't enough, if you signed up, you get 30 days free. So no excuse not to. And I'll tell you, the sort of movie we're about to discuss right now is one of those reasons you want to cash in that 30 days free. 
Uh, Clapboard Jungle is a documentary directed by Justin McConnell. That interview we just did with him was recorded about less than an hour ago, so uh, kind of cool. And I'm putting this out in the same day because I want you to hear this, drum up a bit of support and check out his movie, either physically or digitally. Let me give you some deets from the press statement. It says, navigating the current film business is more difficult than ever before. Rapidly changing technologies in an overcrowded marketplace have led to an industry in which anyone can now make a film, but few can make a living. Following five years in the life and career of independent filmmaker Justin McConnell, who did the movie Life Changer from 2018, this documentary explores the struggling the struggles of financing, attracting the right talent, working with practical effects and selling the finished product in the hopes of turning a profit. It features interviews with a range of industry luminaries including Guillermo del Toro of Crimson Peak Frame, Sid Haig of Spider Baby, Barbara Crampton of Reanimator, Mick Garris of The Stand, Dick Miller of Matinee, Tom Holland of Fright Night and George A. Romero of The Crazies alongside a host of others. Not only are technical aspects and interpersonal skills discussed but also the emotional stamina and little-known tips needed to survive in the low-budget film industry. This one is released, like I said, physically um, last Monday, April the 12th, and will be coming out to the Arrow channel on the 19th. I thought this documentary was brilliant. Um, I wasn't sure what to make of it, to be honest. At the start, I kind of felt like we were... we were kind of using it as a soundboard, and we are kind of, as the viewer, a soundboard for Justin trying to navigate what appears to be a labyrinthian system of just every aspect of the film industry. Like, there doesn't appear to be one clear avenue where, like, you just speak to this guy and it's sorted, and you follow him, a guy who's already got a couple of shorts out, a documentary, a movie, that all these things you just assume are... Well, he's got that behind him. Getting the next project shouldn't be difficult. And as you heard at the end there, even off the back of all the hard work he's got and even financing the movie with great distribution, he's still in a position where things are kind of in limbo. So it's, there, there appears to be no easy route at all into it. Yet, like it said in the blurb there at the start, the technology's never been cheaper to make films. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the opportunities afforded to you through streaming sites... Uh, YouTube especially uh, and whatnot to put out your work is plentiful so how do you make a living in the industry and that's the kind of the backbone of Justin's journey which is at times I'll be honest so morally destroying um, kind of just the most depressing state of affairs of a guy who clearly has a passion for what he does and is going to the right places and speaking to the right people and getting agreements in principle only to find out that they're not really worth the paper they're printed on or the handshake that's been made. And as Justin navigates this, you have all these different talking heads from some of the biggest names in the business. Like I, I was literally watching this through going, this is the greatest collection of... I mean, it's, it's up there amongst one of the greatest collections of talking heads for indie horror filmmakers that I've ever seen captured, you know, on one documentary. And what's what was the surprising thing for me, and at the same time maybe less surprising than you might expect, is how similar all their experiences are. And even at the top of the ladder, 
the you've got like someone like a Guillermo del Toro still saying that he has to basically hustle for his next movie. And this is a guy who's made movies and you know with budgets in the you know in the range of a hundred million probably plus uh, for massive studios and has a fucking Oscar for best picture. And he still finds this process arduous. And it's part and parcel of what what you know drives these filmmakers to, to get their message out. It's because the industry is designed in such a way not to give them that opportunity. So they have to claw and make their way through it. And only the strong appear to survive. It is a fascinating look at indie filmmaking. The story primarily is centred around um, McConnell's journey to get Life Changer made. And like I said in the interview, it obviously did get made, so it's out there just now. In the UK, it's on Amazon Prime. I don't know where it's playing in the States, although it does mention in the documentary that it got picked up from some distribution on Netflix. So I would say, you know what? Just watch it. <laughs> just go watch it. That gives him a bit more clout to make his next movie, and the premise sounds really, really good for it. You get some behind-the-scenes of him him making that movie, some of the pitfalls he has to go through. And I think it's just a really eye-opening experience of the different avenues to get a movie made or the different obstacles that are there but what I loved even more is the interviews start incorporating other aspects the people that you don't usually hear from in docs casting directors actors and actresses giving their opinions on the process themselves there's some great um, advice about using practical effects um, by Stephen Kostansky who has been on this show earlier this year discussing Psycho Gorman um, and it was kind of interesting seeing him pop up there and what I think I saw in the background was maybe some Psycho Gorman sort of early prosthetic bits so that, that was kind of cool but other people just telling you you know stunts will go wrong practical effects will go wrong just don't expect everything to be locked in and then you get specifically advice from like uh, producers telling you what you should be doing people in the industry telling you to always keep making content to get something out there um, established veterans kind of doubling down on that but then the practical effects people saying you know you have to you have to give us time to make the props for your movie. You also have to make sure you've got test shots in place before you book. Like, all these things where it kind of feels like this documentary is... He called it a film school, and I think it really is. Like, things that I would just never really think of as being necessarily the job of a director, and it probably isn't when the director is like a Steven Spielberg, but if you're an indie filmmaker, it all lives and dies on your actions or inactions. I found it, like I say, an incredible watch. I found it captivating. It is very sad to watch this and know that uh, Dick Miller has since passed, George A. Romero has since passed. So seeing them, uh, you know, it, it did my heart good. Um, and yeah, it gets a great group of people in here to chat some of the the up and coming names you know your Benson and Moorhead are here chatting about things the guys behind Starry Eyes and the Pet Cemetery remake they're here guys that managed to make over that lip of getting their in you know their indies out and then in a position where they wield a bit more uh, respect so they they telling you their journeys I found fascinating as well it's a great movie. I, I'm going I would give it a four point five out of five. I think if you are interested in film at all, like I said to Justin, I think it almost feels like mandatory viewing. If you have an interest in making your own independent horror movie, you would do far worse than spend a bit of time listening to the the, the conversations 
from the different talking heads, but specifically watching Justin's experience navigating an industry, like I say, which appears to be craving content, but deliberately designed in such a way that creating that content, you know, is nigh on impossible. So, yeah, 4.5 for this documentary. It is available on Blu-ray as of Monday this week, April 12th, via Arrow Video. It is available this coming Monday via the Arrow channel. That's April 19th. 2021. Please, please, please go and check it out and support it. I'm going to take my final break when I come back. I'm closing out the show and I'm doing it right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been bonus episode 338, a special review of the upcoming documentary, Clapboard Jungle, available on the Arrow channel on the 19th, this coming Monday, 19th of April 2021. And for the physical media collectors like myself, it is available right now. You can go and buy it. It was released on Monday the 12th. Thank you very much to Justin McConnell who joined me for an interview talking about his documentary. It was a pleasure chatting to him. He is someone that I dare say we should all try and keep our eye on to see where he ends up. Because I think he's, from what he was saying at the end there, he's got a couple of really exciting projects that sound like they're close to fruition. Um, But this documentary has told us anything or taught us anything. That journey may be long and hard indeed. Thank you very much to Fetch who submitted the screener and set up the interview. Uh, Those guys have been really kind to me this year and making sure that I get access to content ahead of its release and also setting me up with interviews with some really rad bitching people. So thank you very much to Fetch as well. There's a multitude of ways to check out podcasts under the stairs. Whatever you're listening to me right now, please hit subscribe. That way you get access to the shows as and when they drop and access to the entire back catalogue of T-Putts content. There is over 800 50 episodes in the back catalogue, please go forth and listen to them all. Subscribe to Teapot's Collective, that is a sister feed where you get to hear me chat on shows like Opera Omnia, dedicated to filmographies by directors, Doing the Nasty, which is working its way through the Tier 3 video nasty list from the UK. Also, a little bit of where to begin with. In Season 2, we're looking at film footage full documentary and mockumentary movies and Chronicle which is aiming to return this June so I've got a really cool concept I'm going to be bringing with that and it's going to be the first time that it will involve other voices so I'm kind of excited about this and we'll see where it ends up um, in June so yeah join that feed as well of course I mentioned that at the start Jaws is shite and other regrettable outbursts the booze based banter podcast returns tomorrow for you uh, you can jump across to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash regrettable pod to get access to the shows or visit the website where everything I've mentioned is housed that is tputzcast.com the merch page is tputzcast.bigcartel.com on facebook the podcast under the stairs is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast the tputz collective is facebook.com forward slash tputzcast Reach out and interact with myself and the bands on the twin prongs of social media. Instagram and Twitter both can be followed at Teapot's Cast. 
The podcast under this day is where we're returning for you this Saturday with a special review of a brand new screener. Uh, I think the movie came out about a month ago. The screener's been lying there for a wee while. A screener of a movie on the Arrow channel right now. So you can hear that this coming Saturday. And until then, wherever you are, whatever the time zone is and whatever you're up to in this big bad world of ours, please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs and I am signing off.